Good morning, New Vine. I hope you're doing well this lovely Sunday morning. Hey, it's great to be with you. And if we've not met, my name is Isaac. Uh, I'm, I'm on staff here at New Vine uh, and have the chance to be sharing with you from God's Word today. For the last few months, we've been working through the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, it's a kid's storybook Bible, um, but even us adults can do with stuff being simplified for us every now and again, can't we? Um, today, I have the chance to share with you um, a story that is based in Genesis chapter 22, and it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Um, now, if you have spent a decent amount of time in or around church, you'll be thinking, I know this story, it's the one that's got the dad, it's got the son and the altar, and it's just a great story of the faith Abraham shows. And yes, you would be right in that. Um, If you've not spent much time in or around church or are not very familiar with the Bible, that's fine. But you are likely to hear this story uh, in a moment and think that whole situation is just messed up. And you would be right in a lot of ways as well. So I'm about to read this, but what I'm going to ask you to do is, regardless of how familiar you are with this story or, or God and, and the picture of the Bible, I want you to just pretend that you know none of it. I want you to pretend that this is the first time you are hearing this story. Genesis chapter 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. All right. So I said, I want you to imagine this is your first time hearing this story, your first time in church. And the guy up the front has just told this story about a man by the name of Abraham, his son, Isaac, and the third and main character, God. So our summary, Abraham, a.k.a. Dad, loves his son, Isaac. 
God says, Abraham, I want you to climb up that hill and kill your son. Abraham says, no worries. Abraham then also has the audacity to have his poor son carry the firewood. Abraham ties up Isaac, places him on the hot plate. He's about to stab him to death and God says, stop, stop, stop. Nice work. You have passed the test. Everyone lives happily ever after. At face value, this story is pretty odd. And uh, you are excused for maybe thinking, what is going on? I've got a little boy, and if this was my first time in church here, I would be running up to the kid's room uh, before someone had him collecting firewood or something like that. And on the other hand, if you've been around church and, and know the Bible, and you have heard this story before, I want you to just pause for one moment and maybe realize how desensitized we can become to the things that are familiar to us. The truth is, this story at face value doesn't paint a very loving picture of God. Sure, we can commend Abraham for his faith, and and yes, God does come through in the end, but it does seem to paint a picture of a God that requires his kids to prove themselves in some pretty extreme and violent ways. So today we're going to try and unpack this a little bit more, but before we do, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the Bible. Um, And even more so, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, may you breathe life into what we breed. Um, May you bring meaning to what it is we hear. And God, may we grow in our understanding of uh, your incredible love for us today. Amen. Um, Hey, well, for us to sort of unpack this, I want us to jump back a little bit um, and sort of look at the significance of Abraham. Um, See, God didn't just ask any random guy um, to sacrifice their son, but he chose Abraham. And Abraham was a man that God himself made a covenant with. Um, The man God revealed himself to, promised generations, nations, and kings would come from. A man that God promised to walk with. And Abraham was a man that valued the glorifying of God's name and God's kingdom over his own, who time and time again, when we read through these chapters, gives up his own rights to pursue the things of God. Um, So to to start, I want us to jump back into Genesis 11. And this is the first time we meet Abraham, who at the time was named um, Abram. So verse 27, Abram's family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran. Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. So you might be wondering, genealogy, what's that got to do with Abram's character? Well, there are a few things, uh, even as early as this chapter, that sort of reveal to us the person that Abram was and why it is God would choose to partner with Abram. 
And the first thing these couple of chapters are going to reveal to us is that Abram was a man of sacrifice. Um, During this time in history, your family unit was everything. You uh, worked for your parents, you lived in a family unit, you provided, you protected, you cared for your own. And in time, if you were the firstborn like Abram, you would become the head of this tribe, the head of this family. Um, Abram, as the firstborn, also had a list of entitlements as long as his arm and he would marry first. Um, He would essentially have first choice. In a whole bunch of scenarios, as said, he would end up head of this family and all of his siblings and their families would go on to work for Abram. Um, So this passage, we have Terah. He is the father of Abram and Abram is the firstborn. Nahor, second, and Haran, third. The first odd thing about this family unit is Haran, the thirdborn, seems to be married. He has a son, Lot, and a daughter, Milka. Also a daughter, Iska. Uh, we learn that Harad dies, and as was customary in this uh, sort of setting, his brothers would take on the care of his family. So we read, Nahor marries Milka, and Abram marries Sarai. And uh, Sarai seemingly sort of comes from nowhere. However, a really common view amongst Jewish scholars is that Sarai and Iska are the same person. Iska is Sarai, Sarai is Iska, um, the daughter of Haran. So Abram chooses to marry Haran's daughter, Iska. Now, as we talk about Sarai throughout this story, um, please know I don't mean to be insensitive in any way. I know that um, pregnancy and the struggle that often accompanies that is a really difficult and sensitive topic to talk about. Um, Know that I mean no offence. Just as we talk through this, I'm trying to explain it, um, the story in its context as best we can. So see, for Abram in this culture, It was his duty to take on the leadership of his father's tribe and to grow the family by having his own kids. Um, This story indicates that it was known that Sarai was barren. And in a culture that was largely centred around the growing of your family, Sarai sadly would have been undesirable in most settings as a wife. And see, Abram, as the firstborn, he would have had first choice on who he married. He had every right to marry Milcah, and in that, his brother Nahor didn't really have an obligation to take Sarai to be his wife. But seemingly, for the sake of Sarai, Abram chooses her to be his wife. So our first interaction with Abram is one where we see him giving up everything that shaped your identity and your value in that culture for the sake of another, for the sake of Sarai. If we jump forward into uh, chapter 12, verse 1, this is a little while later, the Lord then said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot 
all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So the second thing early on in Abram's story we see is God asks Abram to leave his family. And we just spoke of how important family was in this time. Leaving your family was actually an incredibly dishonoring thing to do, particularly if you were the patriarch in waiting as Abram was. And and leaving or abandoning your family was virtually unheard of. So what Abram did here in setting out on the path that God had for him, he threw away his position. He likely tarnished his relationship with his father, if not the rest of his family. He threw away the wealth that would come with being the head of that tribe and he wanders off into the unknown. He gives it all up for what it is God's called him into. We do read that Abram took his lot, his nephew Lot sorry, with him. Uh, now keep in mind, Abram and Sarai are unable to have children. So for Abram, Lot is the only opportunity he has to see his family grow. And then if we jump one chapter over in chapter 13, now Lot who was moving about with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have quarrelling between you and me, between your herders or mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, I will go to the left. Abram says to his only chance of family growth, that's okay, you can go. If you need to leave, you can leave. And more so, he says, and you know what? You choose what land you want. Whatever you want, I'll take the other. So a sum up of Abram's life, not in its entirety, but some pretty significant snippets here from chapter 11 11 through to the story of Isaac. Abram has given up everything he was rightfully entitled to as his firstborn. He has chosen Sarai to be his wife and given up the chance of having children of his own. He has left his home and then he's allowed his nephew Lot, his chance of a family, to leave. And in chapter 12, God makes a covenant promising 75-year-old Abram that generations would come from him. So 75 years old, God says, Abram, generations will come from you. Nations will come from you. Well, 10 years on, Abram and Sarah are still childless. So they take matters into their own hands a little bit. Not a great idea, but they choose to. And Abram has a child with Sarai's slave, Hagar. Uh, Now, 15 years on from that, Sarai is still yet to have a child of her own. And God promises Abram at 99 years old that Sarai would have a child. And she does. She has a child and they name him Isaac. And that brings us to this story. So I just want us to see that after all of this, after everything that Abram has given up, after the sacrifices he has made, after 25 years, he and Sarai finally have 
a child together. And then we read this, Genesis 22. Some time later, God tested Abraham. Oh, he's also changed his name from Abram to Abraham in that time. But some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that after 25 years of longing for a child, God promises you the gift of a child and then says, I want you to sacrifice him. Now, as horrendous as this is to you and I, um, it's, it's really difficult for us to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes because this idea is so foreign to us. But what we need to understand is that during this time, every religious system Abram knew of, uh, every god his father and his grandfathers and his great-grandfathers knew of, all required child sacrifices. That was very normal in this culture. So as much as it would have pained Abram, this wouldn't have been the shock to him that it would you or I. So he does. In verse 3, early the next morning, Abram got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So the next morning, it says, Abraham, Abraham is on his way. And clearly Abraham was hoping that God would change his mind because this walk is half a day at best and Abraham stretches it out to three days. But anyway, fair enough. I too would be hoping God would change his mind. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I just want you to put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a minute. You would be dreading the thought of Isaac, your son, speaking up. And finally he does. He says, hey, Dad, where's the lamb? We're making a sacrifice. Where is the lamb? And now we often, uh, for me at least, read this thinking of Isaac as some really young, innocent boy, some helpless child. But he carried a bundle of firewood up the mountain. And Jewish tradition actually believes uh, that Isaac may have even been in his late 20s. But regardless of that, um, Isaac was either blissfully unaware and incredibly trusting of his father I just want you to imagine that for Abram for a moment, that Isaac, your son, is so trusting of you that he continues to walk on with you. Or alternatively, Isaac was old enough to know what was going on. 
Isaac understood what was happening here, that he may be the sacrifice. But like his father had with God, Isaac maybe trusted his father and continues on with him on this journey, knowing full well what it is that lay before him. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abram built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound up his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abram, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. They reach the mountain, they build an altar, they arrange the wood, they bind Isaac up and lay him on top. And finally God yells out, Abraham, Abraham, gets his attention. Here I am, Abraham says. In the midst of all of this, Abraham says, here I am. I'm still here, God. Here I am. And as we wrap up, I want us to just focus in on this little phrase for a moment. Here I am. Um, throughout the Bible, we read, uh, we see in the scriptures something called a chiasm. Um, and a chiasm is a, a writing style that sort of works from the outside in to a center point in a story. Um, And that's sort of meant to be the focal point for us. And in this story of Abram and Isaac, we find the chiasm centers in verse 7, when Abraham says, yes, my son, to Isaac. Um, In the Hebrew of this, and the ESV actually translates it to this, but the Hebrew reads Abraham's response to his son is, here I am. Here I am is the message that Abraham had for Isaac in the midst of this. It's the message that God had for Abraham. And I think it's the message, the response that God has to you and I. Here I am. Abraham is up a mountain, about to sacrifice his son on an altar. He was about to do something he had come to assume God needed. And God says, stop. He says, I don't don't require from you what you think. I am different to what you know. I'm not a God who requires you to prove yourself. But rather, I am first a God that says to you, here I am. Here I am. And maybe today you need the reminder of that God. A God that far before he asks anything of you is standing before you saying, here I am. In whatever situation you are in, a God standing there saying, hey, here I am. Everything that's going on, just just pause for a moment and know I'm here. Maybe you are hearing of God for the first time today. And maybe like Abraham did, you have ideas formed around what you think God might be like. Maybe it's a God that requires you to give up everything you think you value. Maybe it's a God in your head that requires things of you you don't want to do. Well, I want you to put all of that aside. Forget all of those things and be reminded that first, 
He is a God who says, here I am. In this moment, here I am. In your situation, here I am. And that's all that matters. As we follow a God that desires to make himself known to us. And I wonder if, like me, you sometimes allow your preconceived ideas of God to get in the way of God truly revealing himself to you, truly showing you who he is. Well, my prayer for us today, my prayer for me today, is that we would freshly experience God, that we would be reminded that he is near, to know that he is a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God that desires to break into a situation and say, hey, here I am, here I am. I have always been here and I will always be here. And any moment you need it, here I am. I pray that for us, that is the foundation that we start to piece together our understanding of God. Well, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're a God that says, here I am. In every situation, in every season, you're a God that is often different to what we expect. A God that's full of grace when maybe we think he shouldn't be. A God that shows compassion maybe when we feel we don't deserve it. A God who is there. Father, may you assure us of that today. May our heart know that to be true of you. Amen.